morning church. Uh, they can, uh, the reading today is from Genesis chapter 25, verses 19 to 34. This is the account of Abraham's son Isaac. Abraham became the, son, the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Amarian from Padam Aram, and sister of Laban, the Amarian. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife, because she was barren. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man, staying among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. He said to Jacob, Quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he was also called Edom. Jacob replied, First, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, Swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank, and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jeremy. Uh, let's pray as we come to God's word. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, thank you again that you are God who has spoken in many and various ways in former days, but in these last days you have spoken to us by your Son. And we have your word before us in the Bible. So Lord, as you speak to us today, please by your Spirit, speak into our lives and our hearts according to our needs. Father, help me to be faithful in proclaiming and preaching this important part of your word today. And may you receive all the glory and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, welcome to the family. Have you ever wanted to find out more about your family background? 
Have you done the genealogical tree, all of those sorts of things? I haven't. It's not been an interest of mine, but I know many people have. You know, where did I come from? Who's my family? Where was I born? All those sorts of things. Many people are interested in these things. And then every so often they dig through the details and they begin to find something unexpected, something perhaps even shocking, something they didn't expect. Maybe your great-grandfather was a robber. Or maybe Aunt Mabel had a child that was kept a secret, something like that. Sometimes it can be embarrassing to find out the truth. But this is who we are. And like it or not, we don't get to choose our families. We're born into them. We don't choose our families. Well, today we're going to look at some of the bittersweet experiences of the family life that took place under the roof of Abraham's son, Isaac. In particular, we'll be looking at the relationship between Esau and Jacob and also, as it were, the jealousies that arose between the boy's parents, between Isaac and Rebekah. The Bible is nothing if not honest about these things. Even in the church family, we can be a gallery of rogues. It's true. And God's providence can take the strangest of pathways. For example, I just want to point out one thing this morning as uh, we begin looking at our passage. One more thing about Abraham that must have impacted on Isaac and his family's life. You see, it's the fact that Abraham remarried after the death of Sarah and had yet more sons before he died. It's something that often gets passed over, but it's the start of our chapter 25, a little before our reading today. If you look at Genesis chapter 25, verse 1, we're told that after Sarah died, Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimram, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan was the father of Sheba and Dedan, The descendants of Dedan were the Asherites, the Latushites, and the Lumites. The sons of Midian were Ephah, Ephah, Hanuk, Abidah, and Eldaah. All these were the descendants of Keturah. So Abraham had quite a few more sons than we often talk about. At the very least, he had six more sons by Keturah, who was his second wife. And that's in addition to Isaac, who was his second son, born to him by his first wife, Sarah. And then there's Ishmael, his first son, born to him by his concubine, Hagar, who was also Sarah's maidservant. Bit of a messy family, isn't it? I wonder if you know a family that's like that today, where there's stepsons and stepdaughters and and all these uh, interconnections. It gets very complex and often it's the grandparents who miss out because uh, the families shift and and change. Uh, It's sad, actually. The way I read it is this. Abraham made some poor choices in his old age, choices which didn't help to maintain the bonds of peace within the family. In fact, he had to clean it up before he died. We're told in verse 5, just after that, still the same chapter, but before our passage today, Abraham left everything he owned to Isaac. But when he was still living, he gave gifts to the sons of his concubines and sent them away from his son Isaac to the land of the east. Goodbye, kids. So he's done this before, hasn't he? 
He did it with Ishmael. Give gifts, send them away. Give gifts, send them away. This was Abraham's solution to a messy family life. But actually, it didn't solve the problem because later on, these brothers became enemies of Abraham's offspring through Isaac and thus became enemies of Christ. Like the sons of Ishmael, who lived in hostility toward all their brothers. Now, this is important because it does explain the origins of the ancient rivalries we still see in our world today in the Middle East. It's a family feud with spiritual dimensions. It's a family feud with spiritual dimensions which ultimately only Christ can solve. It's Christ who comes into these arguments and breaks down the dividing walls of hostility. But as we're talking about the kids now, I want to move on to my first point today about the next generation. You see, at the start of our passage today, which uh, Jeremy read for us, Abraham has finally passed away. And now in verse 19, we're told, this is the account of Abraham's son, Isaac. These are the generations of Abraham's son, Isaac. It's marking the start of a major new section in the book of Genesis. In fact, if you go back through the book of Genesis, you'll find that there is repeated this phrase. This is the account of. So the first one you'll find is Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. This is the account or the generations of the heavens and the earth. Chapter 2, verse 4. Then chapter 5, verse 1. This is the generation of Adam. This is the generation of Shem. This is the generation of Terah. This is the generation of Ishmael. This is the account of Isaac. And so here we get, this is the account of Abraham's son, Isaac. It's a major new section in the book of Genesis. And then it says, Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Padanaram, and sister of Laban, the Aramean. And that's what we looked at last week, isn't it? How a wife was found for Isaac. So Isaac married Rebekah. Well, life's a funny thing. Uh, on our, you've got pictures up there already on our bedroom wall at home. There's a photograph, a photograph I love, uh, taken on our wedding day 33 years ago, uh, when I still had black hair. <laughs> and in it, you'll see two young faces, mine and Swathar's, and we're smiling out across the years, full of love and joy and excitement on that happy day, looking forward to our married life together. What will it bring? What will our future hold? As I think of it, it reminds me a little bit of Isaac and Rebecca in our passage today because we see them here in our passage, young, energetic, full of life, big-hearted, generous. And remember, Rebecca had to leave her family behind in Padanaram to marry a man whom she'd never even met. Now, that's gutsy, isn't it? That's gutsy. Well, I had met Swathar before we married. Uh, didn't wasn't quite that dramatic, but Swathar also did something similar uh, when we were married because up until the day she was married, my wife-to-be uh, lived at home with her parents in Singapore and then just one week after we were married, she left her family behind. She left her job, her home, her friends, her nation to start a new life with a guy that she didn't really know very well, I should think, <laughs> got a chance to get me know me now, uh, here in Australia. I have to say, that was pretty gutsy too. So I think I can understand some of the challenges Rebecca must have had to face as she first married Isaac. 
not only the adjustments to married life, the new family and a new place to live, but notice also the issue of infertility that affects them here, something that we've had to deal with too, just like Isaac and Rebecca. This deep yearning desire to bring a new life into the world and to hold a baby in your arms and to nurse it at your breast is something that only those who've wanted to have children but can't truly understand. The pain of infertility is deep. Well, for 20 years, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. I think this shows us the character of the man. He was a good husband, loving, faithful, patient, prayerful. Praying to the Lord on behalf of his wife that she might fall pregnant, they might have a child. And remember, there was the promise of God to rely upon here. But in the providence of God, he doesn't always give us what we want when we want it. 20 years of patient prayer. 20 years of waiting and wondering. And he didn't try to force God's hand as his father Abraham had done. In all that time, he waited upon the Lord. He trusted in God's promise. He waited for God's timing. You've got to admit, that's impressive too. That's faith. Persevering faith. Praying faith. 20 years. When Isaac was 60, at last... Rebecca fell pregnant. And how happy they must have been on that day when they realised their prayers had finally been answered. Rebecca is pregnant and a child of promise is on the way. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. But as many mothers can testify, the joy of pregnancy is not always a bed of roses. Having prayed for this now, she's wondering, what have I done? What have I got? Uh, Something is going on here. Rebecca's pregnancy is a difficult one. And there are cases, aren't there? Sometimes women get pregnant and they have to have bed rest for pretty much the whole time. Uh, I've heard of one case like that was continual bleeding and needing to be so careful the whole time through. Well, Rebecca's pregnancy was a difficult one. Morning sickness is one thing, but... Something else is going on here. Look at verse 22. For the babies jostled each other within her and she said, why is this happening to me? I remember one pregnant mum was showing me at once uh, and you could actually see the the kick of the little foot coming out. You see the the imprint through the mummy's tummy. Uh, Amazing how the, the, the little formed body inside the mother can do that. Well, she's got twins. And the word jostled here somewhat understates the situation taking place in Rebecca's womb. It was, it was like a, a war, it was like they're headbutting one another, struggling, striving, signs of things to come. So this is my second point for today. I've called it the twins, Esau and Jacob. And the twins wrestled and grappled and smashed themselves together within the womb day and night continually. Poor Rebecca was so distressed that she ended up asking herself, verse 22, if it's like this, why am I? This is killing me. Lord, this is unbearable. Why is this happening to me? I prayed for kids. You've given us kids, but I'm not coping. So she went to inquire of the Lord and the Lord said to her something very important. A prophecy that 
or impact upon the world. What does it say? Two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. So before the children were even born, God gave Rebecca a word about her children that will have very great significance in the story of salvation history. Rebecca is going to have twins, praise the Lord, but they're not identical twins and they're not ordinary twins. This prophecy is not going to shape their lives alone, but our lives too. They will never really live at peace with each other, not really. Their personalities are so different, their interests are so different. Their abilities are so different. Their futures are so different. The good news is that they'll both survive into adulthood and they'll both become a father of nations in their own right. Nevertheless, their lives and certainly their children's lives will increasingly be spent at war with each other, fighting, scheming, skirmishing. Welcome to the family. In verse 24, we come to the time of their births, a very important time in Rebecca's life. And this is how it happened. Verse 24, when the time came for her to give birth, there were twins in her womb. The first to come out was red. His whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. Esau was apparently named because of his hairiness. There's not a clear and obvious connection between the word Harry and the name Esau, but it's there explained for us in the Bible. His body was covered in hair like a hairy garment. Later on, he took the name Edom, which means red. But for now, the main thing to note here is that Esau was the firstborn, the firstborn son. So the birthright belonged to him by God's providence, as we saw in the kids' talk. Esau was the firstborn son the one who would inherit the greater part of the property, the one who would receive the blessing. And after him came Jacob, grasping at his brother's heel as he emerged into the world. And it was this behaviour that gave him the name Jacob, a name that means grasper or sometimes deceiver. Now his was the birthright by promise, the promise that God had given to Rebekah about her son, His was the right by promise, but not by providence. So how would he get it? How would that birthright that belongs to Esau end up with Jacob? The answer is sibling rivalry, my third point for today. In verse 27, the rivalry between the two brothers, which already begun in the womb, begins to heat up as the children grow up, and then each child begins to attract the love of a different parent. So this is... A problem. Verse 27, the boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man, staying among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Sadly, Esau, um, Isaac and Rebekah, Isaac and Rebekah failed as parents in this regard. They hurt their children 
through favoritism. They hurt their children through favoritism. There is a warning here that if you let favoritism take root in your heart, in your family, then the unity of your family will be fractured. There are two aspects of this to think of. First of all, think of how a lack of father's affection hurt Jacob as a son. For Jacob missed out on his father's love. Well, later on, turns out Jacob became a father kind of in his own image. He made the same mistake, the same favoritism mistake. He played that game of favoritism with his sons and it nearly cost him the life of his beloved son, Joseph. So many of his years of his life, he thought Joseph had been killed because of the jealousy of the brothers who were about to kill him but sold him into slavery in Egypt. It was only very late in life that he heard the wonderful news that in fact Joseph was alive and had become a very significant person in Egypt and through whom the family was saved from famine. But Jacob was affected by the lack of a loving father. What about Esau? He missed out on his mother's love. Is it too much to suggest that Rebecca's indifference toward him as a mother played into Esau's life in such a way that he looked for a woman's love in all the wrong places. For he went on to marry pagan women who brought much grief to Isaac and Rebekah. Now, of course, your relationships with your children will vary, just as we know some people better than others. So in our family, we get on with some better than others. Nevertheless, as a parent, it is your duty to show love to all your children. to be careful not to veer into favoritism. Today I want to acknowledge the deep sense of resentment that favoritism can bring. And I also want to say to you that Jesus is the one who can help you to break the pattern and create a new future for you and your family. So if you're struggling in this area of favoritism today, if there are cracks in the family, if you want to go back to the gospel, back to Jesus, and remember how he first loved you in order to turn, uh, turn back to him and then become a loving parent to your children. In Christ there is no favoritism. In Christ, there is no fear of rejection, no fear of ridicule or fear of being unloved. He accepts us as we are and we become adopted into God's family as sons and daughters of the living God. Maybe it's a time to take opportunity from today's passage to reflect on these things if you're struggling. If you've been showing favoritism, then stop it and learn to love as Christ loved you. The Apostle James warns us strictly in this regard. He says... If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favouritism, you sin. Favouritism is an abuse of power. It's an abuse of power that treats one person better than another for no good reason except your own selfishness. And it betrays an attitude of the heart which is offensive to God. In Christ, we've been called to love others as Christ loved us. And with this comes the power to smash the abusive patterns of favoritism, the power to forgive, the power to be patient, the power to have mercy, 
power to serve, the power to love, the power to bless. May God preserve us from making enemies of our parents, enemies of our children, enemies of our siblings. If only there'd been a bit more brotherly love in Isaac's home, then the birthright incident in the final part of our passage today may not have happened. But sadly it did. Instead of waiting upon God to work out the promise that he had made, Jacob grasps after it and claims it for himself in a way that is ungodly. Well, Esau grew up to be an outdoors man. He loved to go hunting and he was his father's favourite son. Whereas Jacob was the opposite. He was an indoors man. He loved to stay at home among the tents and do the cooking. And he was his mother's favourite son. So the day came when Jacob was indoors cooking a stew. Esau was famished after a big day outdoors. Comes in, he says to Jacob, quick, let me have some of this red, this red, this red stuff. This red stew, I'm famished. Jacob replied, a most extraordinary reply, isn't it? First, sell me your birthright. As I said, the birthright was that special privilege of the firstborn son. It came with the inheritance rights and a special blessing too. Jacob said, sell me your birthright. His brother's hungry, could have given him some stew. This was the opportunity that Jacob recognised that he could take advantage of. Esau said, look, I'm about to die. What good is the birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me first. Lock it in. So Esau swore an oath, selling his birthright to his younger brother. Then Jacob gave him some bread and some lentil stew. And the way it's written is very interesting. It's kind of smoothed out in our Bibles, but literally, and he ate and he drank And he got up and he left. So he despised his birthright. There's a sense of horror. Just watching Esau gobble down the food, wipe his beard and walk away. Not giving a second thought to what he'd just signed off on. He despised his birthright. And it shows a significant failure of character. He traded his birthright as Isaac's firstborn son for a bowl of lentil stew. And everything began to go downhill for him from there. Later, as we saw again in the kids' talk, when their father was dying, Jacob went in and stole Esau's blessing from his father's dying lips. So by deception, he gained both the birthright and the blessing of Esau, leaving his brother with nothing but the scraps. Well, in this incident, neither Esau nor Jacob come out looking good. Neither Esau nor Jacob come out looking good. First, Esau was a man whose stomach ruled his heart. I think I've been accused of similar things at times. I love my food. Uh, put some sweets in front of me and, uh, oh, yeah, okay. Got to be careful what do I agree to. Esau was a man whose stomach ruled his heart. And I ponder on this. Jacob's stew was a very poor stew. 
not saying poor as in it wasn't tasty. I'm sure it was tasty, but it was just a vegetable stew. There was no meat in it. It was a lentil stew. The older version of the Bible calls it pottage. Now, if you're a meat man like Esau was, you'd think you may have some lentil and goat stew or lentil and whatever it is, some meat in the stew with it. But there's no meat in this stew. It's just lentil stew. But Esau is hungry. He's famished. He's living in the moment and he's impulsive. Right now he's he's hungry. So he says to Jacob, look, I'm about to die. What good is a birthright to me? It was just the food that he'd wanted, food for the stomach. And in that moment, that bowl of stew was more important to him than all the promises of God and all the blessings and the birthright. He didn't look at what God would have brought to him through those privileges. He just laid hold of the stew and filled his stomach. And what about Jacob? Well, his behavior reminds me a little bit of a mafia boss or say a very calculating guy, isn't he? Like Satan, actually. He knows how to tempt a man when he's weak. And Esau falls straight into the trap. Now, maybe it didn't seem like a big thing at the time, but Esau had despised his birthright and he didn't repent of it until it was unable to be claimed back again. When the time came and he wanted it, he was unable to retain it, even with many tears. So Jacob got what he wanted. Jacob got the birthright, not by any honourable means. He gained what was promised, but in the way he did it, he showed himself to be utterly unworthy of it. Utterly unworthy of it. And this is important. Because why should God honour the promise to one who is so utterly unworthy of it? And yes, later on, Jacob will pay a price for this because God will hold him to account. He in turn, you see, will be deceived. The deceiver will be deceived. He'll be deceived by Uncle Laban in the matter of his marriage to Rachel. That's another story. The point today, though, is that Jacob, for all his faults, is still the man whom God has chosen to be the father of the nation of Israel. Today we might say that he's going to be born again, born from above, born from God. The Lord's going to create a new man out of this very unimpressive material. So this is our family. This is the story of the church. By faith in Christ, we are adopted into the family of Jacob. Now, this is the mystery of God's elective love. For God delights to humble the proud and confound the wisdom of the wise. He delights to choose the poor, the widow, the alien, the sinner, the tax collector, the prostitute, the liar, the leper, the unlovely. He chooses those who have nothing deserving of his mercy so that our salvation can be seen to be by grace alone and not by work so that no one can boast. When we see ourselves to be Isaac, 
where we see ourselves to be Jacob. We see ourselves to be like the people in our story today who, who fail. And yet God keeps his promise. Jacob is a deceiver, a betrayer, a thief, a Judas. And yet he's still the one whom God has chosen to become Israel's patriarch. Well, do what you will with that. I find it strangely comforting because I see in Jacob aspects of myself. And remember, Jacob, like us, is a work in progress. This is the beginning of his story, not the end. Thank goodness for that. He's not Israel yet, but he will be. God's elective love will see that to that, just as God's elective love will see to your salvation and to mine, as we, through grace, turn to Christ and cling to him and receive forgiveness. Well, today we've had to face up to some unpleasant truths about the kinds of things that can happen even in the best of families. Favoritism, jealousy, deception, lying, rivalry, pride. Pretty much everything that brotherly love isn't. The challenge for us today is to see that even though we can't choose our earthly families, we can always choose Christ and repent. So how does God bring us into his family? By this wonderful, redeeming thing called grace. We can be born again. Born in Christ. Born into a family of hope and joy and purpose. And in light of this, parents, love your children in the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your sons or your daughters. Mothers, don't show favoritism in the home. Siblings, love one another as you ought. Is there hostility in your relationships within the family? Be a peacemaker. Break into that. Claim the victory in Jesus' name. Even though you can't choose your earthly family, you can always choose Christ. And in doing so, you can make a very big difference in your family's life. So be very careful of sinful pride. Be very careful of arrogance and unforgiveness. And be careful of those evil thoughts of the kind that ruined the lives of some of the people in our passage today, or almost did, and that set children at odds with one another and even with their parents. Repentance is the key. Okay, repentance is the key. Don't break fellowship over a bowl of stew, but come to Jesus and ask him to redeem you, to help you. If you've hurt someone, then go and say sorry as often as you must so that the love of Christ can rule in your heart and so that Satan will not gain a foothold. Repentance is the key, and it leads us to Jesus, who is our brother. And it's his brotherly love that we need. 
His love for you and for me and for others is the example that he would have us to follow today in our own family lives. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. I would say this is the family birthmark, really. That brotherly love, that working through the differences and not giving up. But overcoming what is evil with what is good. That's how Jacob's life was eventually changed. God humbled him to the point where he could no longer rely on himself. And then by God's grace, he became a new man. He was born again, given a new name. He became Israel. He struggled with God and prevailed. And as Israel, he then summoned the courage, very interesting, having seen the errors of his way in his younger days, he has summoned up the courage to go back and apologise to Esau for what he'd done. Jacob did that. In the same way, let us consider this morning how we can love one another better as God's people today. Is there anyone I need to forgive? Anyone I need to ask forgiveness of? Is there someone I can pray for? Someone I know is struggling with uh, tensions in their family. Someone I can help. Perhaps I've been through experiences that I can draw alongside and be a counsellor and a friend. How can I be an instrument of peace in my family, my workplace or my church? What would God have you to do this morning? Is there someone that God might be placing on your heart to speak to or to pray for? Or to show kindness too. God's elective love is a great mystery. But it's also a comfort when you realise how broken we are and how perfect Jesus is. Don't let the problems of your earthly family blind you to the truth about God's family and what we will yet become in Christ. We are all works in progress in God's sight and yet we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Even though we can't choose our earthly families, we can always choose Christ and repent. And in coming to Christ, we can be born again. And so I close with the advice of the Apostle Peter who says, Finally, all of you, Live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. And he says, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. Welcome to the family. And may God help you and sustain you in your family life today. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that in Christ we have a brother and a friend who is also our God and our King, who knows the trials and troubles of this life and can sympathise with us. Lord, for any here today whose family life is not what it could be, 
for any here today who are grieving over broken relationships that they long to be healed, may you work in their lives, in their families, sovereignly today by your spirit to transform and change and heal and restore that which has been broken but can be reclaimed in Christ. Lord, help those who are parents to love their children and to love one another. Help those who are children to love their parents and their siblings and help us to love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ for we are your family and to you we look in Jesus' name. Amen.